You had me at Habakkuk. We're wrapping our series of messages up today. You had me at Habakkuk. We're wrapping up three messages in the book of Habakkuk. And I believe that there's some very direct and indirect parallels to our modern day Canada, especially in the way we have turned our backs as a nation on God. And so let me remind you of some of the prominent truths we looked at in the first couple of weeks. It will help set the stage for what we're going to talk about today from chapter 3. And I don't know where, obviously, each one of you are in terms of your relationship with God, but it could be, as we've gone through these last couple of years, you feel like you have kind of gone through the mill in life, and you have some difficult issues you have or you are processing, and you have questions for God. And it could be that you're wondering, is it even proper for me to ask the hard, hard, difficult questions of life to God? And if it is proper for me to do that, how do I go about doing that? Habakkuk is a guy who helps us figure that out. And there's many times that this happens in scripture, but he really focuses in and drills down on this issue. Habakkuk is a prophet from the Old Testament era. He lived just prior to the time of 605 BC. And he was a prophet to what's called the Southern Kingdom, the Southern two tribes of Israel. And a prophet typically is a person that's used by God to deliver God's message to the people. And Habakkuk does some of that, but his primary focus is almost reversed in a sense. He speaks to God about the people. And he says to God in chapter one, he says, I'm just shaking my head, God. I can't figure this out. Because your people, the people of Israel, are incredibly wicked at this time in history. Innocent people are being killed all the time. There's corruption across the board in the general population and in the government. They're they're taking their children in cases and they're using them as human sacrifices to false gods. There's temple prostitution to these false gods going on. There is evil in the land. And God, this... This doesn't sit with what I know of you because I know you are holy, you are pure, and I can't understand, God, why you don't do something about this evil. And I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed about it and I've been patient. And to be honest, God, it almost feels like it's falling on deaf ears. And so he, he makes this complaint to God and God answers by saying, Listen, Habakkuk, nothing gets by me. I see everything, I hear everything, I know people's thoughts, I'm fully aware, and in my time and in my way, I'm going to work out something really good, actually out of something that's not so good. I'm going to raise up the nation of Babylon, which in our day would be modern-day Iraq and Iran in that part of the world, And I'm going to use that nation. They're going to come west and they're going to judge the nation of Israel for their evil. 
Well, now Habakkuk is really upset again, and he says, I don't like your answer at all. God, why would you use people who are even more wicked than the Israelites to judge the Israelites? And in essence, he's questioning the fairness of God. And at times, we see in Scripture, and Habakkuk is one of these examples, we see in Scripture people who have a deep, healthy, sincere relationship with God. And they have some difficult questions as they observe life, as they experience life. And they're saying, God, I don't understand why you're doing this and you're not doing that. I don't understand these things. And in a certain way, it's not unlike Jesus in the garden. When Jesus spoke to his father and he had some pretty straightforward questions he asked. Based on Habakkuk and many other places in scripture, especially in the Psalms, where really a bulk of the Psalms would be oriented this way. It's okay to ask God the tough questions questions of life. And I would even go one step further. I think it's in fact wrong not to. When we leave this stuff bottled up inside us and try to live in denial and pretend like it's not reality in our life, that is not a good situation in life. And it ends up harming us when we are not honest with ourselves and with God about what's really going on. The other thing we noticed in the first couple of chapters is that There was a way that he went about asking these questions. And this is very important. He would go directly to the source. And he asked God directly. And we often don't do that. We often don't have the courage to do that. And instead, if we're choked with God or we don't understand something he's doing, we go and we talk to other people about God and we do it in an indirect way. Or sometimes we go and we complain about the leader in the church and sometimes we as leaders really mess up. There's no doubt about that. But sometimes when we're upset with God, we complain about his leaders as a way about complaining complaining about him in an indirect way. Or sometimes we just pack up our stuff and we leave the church. And, and sometimes the reasons for these actions is because we're too afraid or we're too angry to speak directly with God. And we live in denial. Habakkuk doesn't do that. Habakkuk goes directly to God. He's honest with God about what's happening, how he's feeling, because he understands something about God. Not only does God see everything, Not only does God hear everything, he knows our thoughts too. We think that we have these deep, dark secrets. He gets it all. Habakkuk knows this, and he goes, if he knows already, I might as well be honest with him with about what's happening. And so the text, I suggest, is, is, is really encouraging us to go to God with our life. He prays about this stuff for a long time. He doesn't just pray about it once. He prays about it for a long period of time. And then in verse 1 of chapter 2, he makes a very important statement. Now that he's had his say, he says, I am going to stand on guard. He has this image of being on guard, his head on a swivel, anticipating God's answer. 
I've asked the tough questions and I am going to stand on guard and I'm going to be at attention until my thinking gets lined up with God's thinking. I know he hears me and I know he will answer. And his attitude is that he's just saying, I believe, absolutely believe that God in his time and in his way, in a way I might not be able to completely comprehend with my limited human mind, but in a way that will ultimately satisfy me, God will address these issues. Then in chapter 2 and verse 4, which is the key, cha- key verse of the whole book, Habakkuk says um, uh, that, that the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And it's really one of the meta-themes of Scripture, an idea that flows all through Scripture. And he knows that Israel is going to be judged for their persistent, ongoing, unrepentant sin. And he knows this judgment is coming. And in a way that's either direct or indirect, it's going to touch the the righteous among the people in Israel. And yet God is saying that this judgment will be select and precise in the sense that it will only be temporary and temporal for those who have healthy relationship with him. And friends, I'm going to suggest this is really good news for the nation of Canada. Because if we continue on this path, like we've been on as a nation, moving away from our historic Judeo-Christian roots, I believe judgment will come one day. All you have to do is look at history. The nations that persistently over the long term turn their back on God in a rebellious way and and do not hear the warnings from God and the invitation from God where he says, listen, I love you and this is why Jesus came and I want a great relationship with you. I want what's best for you. And when those nations consistently stiff arm God, he goes, I love you too much to allow you to continue on this path of spiraling down, and I will get your attention somehow. But for my children who live by faith, when all this happens, whether you're affected directly or indirectly, my grace will overshadow you and cause you to live. My grace, which is freely available, will overshadow you and cause you to live. And so there will be some hard times. And I think some evidences of God's judgment, we already see it in the nation. But God will walk with us. God will give us courage. He'll help sustain us. He'll give us joy. He'll give us eternal life. Then he says to Habakkuk, I promise you this as well. He talks about five types of evildoers in the land. And he says, these people perpetrate this evil in these five different ways. They, if they refuse to repent, if they refuse to make restitution, they will be judged. And he describes what that judgment will look like. It's not God's desire to do that. He doesn't want to do that. That's not his um, sort of orientation. But if the wicked continue to reject his offer of forgiveness and reconciliation and grace... In the end, because he's absolutely holy and because he is just, they will be judged. 
all this time, God remains holy. He's aware of what's going on. His grace is sufficient for the righteous to live by. And in verse 20 of chapter 2, the last verse, he says that God remains holy in his temple. If I was to summarize what is about to be read, I would summarize it this way. God is more than enough. If you have your Bible or your device, turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. It's found well into the minor prophets. If you open in the middle, come to Psalms, go to the right, Isaiah, keep going. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Use your Bible or your device. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covers the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, and pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses with your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow and you called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth. In anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. So in this prayer of Habakkuk, he spends some time recalling God and how God has manifested and will manifest his grace and his power. And once again, he asks for deliverance for the people of God. But scattered all through this chapter, he celebrates some of the attributes of God. Let me just run through them quickly. He says, I recognize that you are our only Savior. We have no other hope. You are our only Savior. 
and he acknowledges this profound truth. He acknowledges that God, once again, he says, you are holy. He says, I understand that you're omnipresent, that you are present everywhere. I understand that despite what I see, you are merciful. I understand that you, God, are omnipotent. You are all-powerful, that you are a righteous judge, and that you are eternal in nature. And in each one of these three chapters, Habakkuk takes time to bear his soul before God. I reiterate, it's good to be honest with God, honest with ourselves and honest with God. And he bears his soul in each one of the chapters. And he's about to do this in verse 16. Let me read the first part of verse 16 to you. Here's he, here he is bearing his soul again. He goes, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. He's saying, listen, when I heard about all the stuff you're going to do, it, it, it made me literally weak in the knees. The stuff you're going to do, it just, it just threw me for a loop, God. When I heard how you were going to deal with the sin and the issues in the nation. And it just uh, made my stomach churn and my knees got weak. But then the rest of verse 16, yet, yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation that's invading us. I'm going to wait patiently. As he keeps saying in each one of the chapters, I will wait patiently for your whole answer, God, and I understand you will judge unrepentant people and you will also deliver. Now again, I want to stop for a second and ask you, I don't know where you are in life right now, but it could be, it could be that churning inside of you in light of what we've gone through in the last couple of years are some of these emotions, are some of these feelings, are some of these realities of where Habakkuk is. And listen to what he says next in verse 17. Listen to the rawness of what he says. He says this, though the fig tree does not bud and there's no grape on the vines, and we can say here in Southern Alberta, and it seems like it's never gonna rain, okay? Need to pray for rain. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, no, there are no she though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. He's saying, listen, in the midst of having nothing, this, now that's not literally like, it's not like there's no sheep whatsoever, but it feels like that to him. It's a visceral thing for him. It feels like we have nothing right now. And it could be that you are feeling those kinds of emotions in life right now. This might really resonate with you. Then he says this, listen to this cool stuff. He says, yet, and we've been doing this this morning, and the song we sang just before I preached, and we're going to sing afterwards, is a, is a testament to this verse. And so when we sing it later, be reminded of this verse, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior, the sovereign Lord. That means he's in charge. 
The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. Have you ever seen like deer, the way they, they have such great stability and ability to move? He, he says he's going to do, that's the word picture for us. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. In the midst of feeling like I have nothing, Lord, in the midst of my knees quaking and my stomach churning and feeling like I've been thrown for a loop, in the midst of all this, I understand that God continues to be my savior. God is our only deliverer and that for Habakkuk, he understands fundamentally and he celebrates this, that this is more than enough, that the grace of God, the sustaining grace of God, the character of God, the attributes of God that I can cling to with desperation are sufficient. And I will rejoice in him, not in the pain per se, not in the suffering per se, but I will celebrate and I will rejoice in the very nature and provision of God. I'm gonna celebrate who he is and the reality of what he's done in my life. And I can ask him any question and he will guide me in his time and in his way to an answer that typically goes beyond human words, but will ultimately satisfy. The Lord is my strength. He keeps my footing solid like the deer that's climbing that incredible hill or mountain and allows me to go further and deeper. Nothing else in life allows me to go further and deeper like him. Not too long ago, a friend of mine uh, went through a pretty significant experience. And uh, he's a couple years older than me. He wasn't a close, close friend, but I knew him and appreciated him from my years in school years ago. Married, two kids, lead the pa- he's a lead pastor of an Alliance church. And I heard his whole story recorded on the church website. He wasn't feeling well. And you know how that is. After a while, it starts to become a concern because it's just not going away. And so he went to see the doctor. And and so often when we see the doctor, we just deeply appreciate their work for us and the way they're able to help us and care for us. But sometimes when we go to the doctor, A trip like that can change your life. And when the test came back, he was told he had leukemia. And they told him this is a very aggressive leukemia, very serious, and you're going to need to take a medical leave of absence, which he did. And because he lived in a smaller center, they had to pick up everything, took a leave of absence from the church. church was very helpful with them in this moved the whole family for a year of chemo and radiation treatment. And so they all moved and he went through the, the rigors of that and it takes incredible courage to go through that. And by the end of the year, the leukemia was in full remission. They did the tests, full remission. And so they were able to move back home and and gradually begin to move back into ministry and life and 
It was going really well, very productive. Things were healthy in the church and growing. His checkups were very clear. And then two years later, the leukemia returned. And they told him, you're going to need to move back to this major center. You're going to need another complete round of chemo and radiation. And there was talk of a bone marrow donor and things of that nature. And and so I'm listening to his story. And let me begin to quote some of it. Some of it will be my words. He said this. He said, the first time he was diagnosed, he felt abandoned by God. I I felt abandoned by God. I was angry with God. I was confused and lost as to where God was. And as I heard him tell this, I thought, a different set of circumstances, but not unlike the posture of Habakkuk. And your circumstances might be not as grave as Habakkuk's or or my friend, but they're serious to you. And so you might resonate with what he's saying. He continued the story. He said, on the second trip back to the major center for treatment, the journey was quite different the second time. This time, he and his wife made the decision to leave the entire family back where they were from because they they still had a kid at home in school and they didn't want to disrupt the whole life again for another year or however long it was going to be. And so the second time at this major center, he was mostly alone. And he said this, even though I am physically alone, at this time I am not alone. I do not feel abandoned by God. I am alone, but I'm not alone. I thought that was quite a statement. I am alone, but I am not alone. I know God's presence surrounding me. I can't explain it. Remember, often this stuff goes beyond limited human capacity to express it. I can't explain it, he said. It's like a coin flip in my life. I have gone from a life of desperation to a life that knows God's embrace. Let me say that again. This is a quote from him. I have gone from a life of desperation to a life that knows God's embrace. Friends, this is a testimony to the supernatural grace of God at work. And it goes beyond human words. And even though the sickness was the same, the journey the second time, totally different. A testimony to the literally supernatural grace of God. My friend is in heaven now. And he is experiencing the grace of God firsthand. I want to wrap this talk by reading the key verses in this book. I want you to listen to the verses and insert yourself into them if you haven't already. And then we're going to sing that great song that celebrates the truth, in particular of verse 17, in uh, verse 18, sorry, of chapter 3. Listen to these key verses and insert yourself in the text. Chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. 
I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Verse 4. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. The righteous will live by his faith. Verse 20 of chapter 2. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And then verses 16 to 19. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop falls and the fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. God and God alone is more than enough. 